Welcome to Swift Unwrapped. Uh, today we're talking about Swift 5.3, which should be uh, coming out hopefully soonish. There's no official date yet, but we can only uh, assume that it's probably going to line up with the final release of Xcode and the final release of iOS and macOS, um, which is usually around September. Um, Apple did announce a delay on, I think, iOS or the, the iPhones shipping. Um, and so maybe we'll see a release in October. It's not clear, but we know it'll be soon. It'll be this fall for sure. Yeah, if I had to put money on it, I'd say it'll still, the the um, Xcode release and the OS releases are still going to come around second week of September even though the phone isn't expected until maybe mid or late October even, uh, just because the GM, not the GM, but the seed numbers, the build numbers in the Xcode betas for Xcode 12 um, have been getting um, closer and closer together, meaning there are fewer changes in between each release uh, of the beta. So I'd suspect that they're really close to wrapping up the, the OS itself. Usually, Mac OS and even iPad OS tend to um, ship GM like a few weeks after iOS. Mm -hmm. So I'd still expect um, Xcode 12 to go GM alongside the official Swift 5.3 release at latest mid-September. Right, right. Yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully soon. Hopefully things won't be uh, too delayed. Um, and we'll have that final Swift.3. So today we want to talk about how Swift 5.3 is a little different than previous releases, especially uh, minor releases, the point releases. Um, back in March, uh, Nicole Jacques uh, had a blog post on the official Swift blog highlighting what the Swift 5.3 release process was going to be. And in there, she shared sort of the usual um, info that tends to be in, in these blog posts where... They share when they're going to branch off uh, of the master branch for um, the specific versioned branch. So they did that back in April. Um, and from that point on, every change that wanted to, that authors wanted to land in 5.3 needed uh, to meet a certain criteria, um, uh, even above what is typically the bar for things to land in, in the main branch. Um, but in the blog post, uh, Nicole also shares um, some of the motivation and goals, the raison d'être for Swift 5.3. Um, and a big highlight here is improving um, the quality and performance, um, but especially expanding the number of platforms where Swift is available. Uh, notably, we've already seen um, CentOS as one of the officially supported versions for Swift. Uh, we see distributions or uh, built artifacts for CentOS as well on swift.org slash download. Uh, and notably adding support for Windows, which still hasn't 
um, officially happened, right? We haven't seen any blog posts saying Windows is now an officially supported first class target uh, platform for Swift, but there's definitely been a lot of progress in that area. So we thought we'd, we'd take a look at sort of what has made Swift 5.3's development different so far from, from other versions and probably dive into uh, some of the concrete changes that have landed in the language as well since this branch off date. Yeah, so it, if you remember, like, and if we take a look at um, some of these old blog posts on the Swift.org uh, blog, all of the ones highlighting the, the release process for all of the, the major and point releases, most of them have some sort of big um, kind of primary like flagship uh, feature uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so like, for example, Swift 3.1 was all about source compatibility. Um, that was like the big driver there. Um, that continued a little bit with Swift 4. Um, and the big thing there was like uh, the ability to mix language versions. I think that's about when that came around. Later uh, releases were focused on um, ABI stability. Um, and so I guess that was the, what, what release was that? 5.2? Yeah, I think 5.1 was ABI stability and then 5.2 is uh, library evolution. Yes. Uh, and then also uh, module stability was in there somewhere. So they've all had, uh, or most of them have had uh, some pretty big themes um, in the even earlier days before the swift.org blog existed. Um, around like Swift 2 or 2 dot something, uh, the big feature was the new error handling model. Um, and that was that was a pretty big deal. Um, so we've seen things from, you know, very prominent language features that have like really defined the language um, to these like under the hood ABI stability, uh, module stability sorts of themes for these releases. Um, so Swift 5.3 is quite different because uh, one of the major themes is more uh, support for more platforms. Yeah, earlier I shared that uh, CentOS is now one of the officially supported platforms. There's uh, built binary tool chains that are available on swift.org slash download for CentOS 7 and 8. And there's also Amazon Linux, Amazon Linux 2. Didn't even know that was versioned. Um, but yeah. I believe that's the uh, variant of Linux that runs in AWS containers um, and uh, for, for things like Lambda and EC2. And I think that Windows support is still a work in progress, but a uh, high priority work in progress. Uh, but even with this emphasis on platforms and distributions, uh, there is still quite a bit feature-wise that has managed to land in uh, Swift 5.3. Um, a lot of this was heavily showcased, showcased during WWDC, including some of the um, changes that impact Swift UI, uh, notably the multiple trailing closure syntax that we've discussed before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's also um, uh, the proposals um to make uh, tuples conform to equatable, comparable, and hashable. Um, there are some other synthesis proposals. Um, 
let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, synthesizing comparable for um, enum types. Um, so a lot of... Now, yeah. just backing up a little bit in that uh, SE283, tuples conforming to equable, comparable, and hashable, um, I'm not sure if that's actually uh, shipped as part of 5.3. Do you happen to know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, the Swift Evolution site does say it's accepted. Um, there is an implementation that looks like... Yeah, the pull request for the implementation is still um, in in heavy discussion, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it has not merged yet. So it is, I guess, unclear if any of the outstanding accepted proposals will actually land in the final release. Now, there are other Swift Evolution proposals that have made it through um, right now in 5.3. If you have been following along with uh, the latest tool chains or the latest Xcode 12 betas, um, one of which I quite enjoy, and those are uh, type-based program entry points. So using at main instead of, um, uh, what, what was the previous annotation? Um, in application in my, main, was it? Yeah, in, in iOS apps, it was, uh, I think, UI application main, uh, which seemed to be, I don't know the, the full story and background behind that, but I, I believe that was sort of just a, a hack for um, making things work in iOS and UIKit. I think hack is a bit of a harsh term, but yeah, I think it was it was a case by case uh, attribute where it wasn't very portable. And uh, now with the type based program entry points SC two eighty one, you can now have at main on a number of different uh, structs or base classes as long as it has a static main method that can be used as a program's main entry point. And uh, this replaces at UI application main and at NS application main that was used on iOS and Mac OS. Um, but it also extends to supporting, um, to, to being supported on non-Apple platforms, which is great. Right. So previously on Linux, your entry point um, uh, was just the start of the file. Uh, you had to have like a main.swift file or... How, did, how exactly did that work? Yeah, that's right. For, so for executables, uh, you were required to have a main.swift file. Right. So now you can have your at main annotation or attribute um, for at anywhere in your source structure that makes sense for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you have some other syntax uh, improvements, 5.3. You now have the ability to have where clauses on contextually generic declarations. So especially when you have um, when you have an extension on a, on a generic type, um, either with type aliases or with um, generic members, uh, you had to have that where clause in the extension itself. And now you can have um, a general purpose extension that isn't constrained and then further constrain um, declarations in that extension, so functions. Um, with with your where keywords so especially if you're adding lots of different small um, extensions to a type with uh, generic constraints um, you can just keep it all in, in one uh, 
big extension block at this point. So it's a nice quality of life improvement. Yeah, it's definitely very convenient uh, to be able to write things in that way. Um, some other big things, um, the Swift Package Manager saw a lot of improvements. Um, you can now include uh, resources like images um, or uh, I believe like nib files as well. Uh, you can include localized resources um, and binary dependencies. So all of those definitely help the the package the Swift Package Manager integration with uh, iOS and macOS based projects, especially if you have um, uh, packages uh, that are primarily UI components or something like that. I also believe that um, this the Swift Package Manager that ships with Swift five point three has an improved um, dependency resolver. So hopefully you have. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what the advantages for it are. Here's one that addresses um, an old pet peeve of mine. Um, if you, so we're talking about SE268, um, which refines the did set semantics. Previously, if you um, had did set, um, a, a did set block to your variable, mm -hmm. um, it would also implicitly read the variable at that point. Uh, and that led to all sorts of surprising behavior when you weren't expecting that variable to be read when you're just setting it. Mm -hmm. um, and now if you're not referencing the um, magic old value variable that's that's available in the did set scope, um, I say that it's magic because you have access to this variable that you don't see declared anywhere that just magically appears in scope in your did set. Right, if you don't right. if you don't touch that uh, and you don't have a will set, uh, then you um, then Swift will change the data in place. It won't read what was there before. Nice, nice. Yeah. So previously, that behavior was just an artifact of what generating the the implicit old value value for you uh, to make it available or. Um, yeah, it, it sort of eagerly um, accessed the value. I see. So if you had an especially um, expensive default value for a property, but you never read it, and then you go to set it to something, then it's going to have that expensive computation for first reading it. Right. And it's also pretty unintuitive and unexpected yep. to have that behavior. So it's yeah. it's really this is almost like fixing a bug, but because there's a behavior change here, um, it went through Swift evolution. Right, right. We also mentioned earlier in the Swift five point three um, release process blog post that performance would be uh, one of the focus areas as well, and this dovetails into a lot of work that we've seen uh, over the last few months to improve a few odds and ends in the Swift language. There's actually a major one here um, that got a little bit of attention a few weeks ago uh, where Mike Ash uh, of Friday Q&A fame and now works on the um, language runtimes team at Apple um, replaced the implementation for what's, what Swift calls its protocol conformance cache with a much faster hash table that uh, leads to um, 
in some cases, like hundred times improvements in micro benchmarks. Um, so it's nice that with a with a language version like this, there's an emphasis on making things faster instead of having something necessarily new and shiny to to wow people with a release. Yeah, and uh, we'll link the PR in the the show notes. It's definitely worth reading. Uh, the description is very long. It's basically a, a blog post. Um, and it's pretty interesting to read through, um, even if you don't totally uh, get everything at first. Um, it's a cool change and uh, definitely reminds me of uh, Mike's Friday Q&A blog posts. Now, there's no indication that this is actually going to get into uh, Swift 5.3, but um, it was merged and um, and discussed uh, in the 5.3 release window, but I don't think it'll end up being um, cherry-picked into the 5.3 release branch after all. Yeah, and one last thing with 5.3 that uh, is pretty interesting to me and definitely sort of highlights this this shift of focus with, with Swift is um, if you look at the, the Swift blog, the last handful of blog posts are all about um, supporting Swift on the server um, and introducing new libraries to uh, make server-side Swift development uh, easier. Uh, so there's an AWS Lambda package, the service lifecycle package, and the cluster membership package. And um, this is more activity we've seen on the server-side Swift story than we have in the past. So uh, it seems like this is starting to take off a lot more than previously, um, which is exciting to see. That's all we wanted to cover for uh, the Swift 5.3 release. We look forward to uh, using it in production. Uh, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, and uh, let us know what you think of the new language version. Um, thanks for listening. Yep. You can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. And if you have time, uh, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes. 